0: Welcome to the last Europe Chat of 2021. We are recording just before the December European Council meeting. I will be asking Jim about the main achievements of the European Union this year and also about its weaknesses and things to improve. Jim is Tepsa's Secretary General. Hello, Jim. Hello, Mary. At the beginning of this year, you moved from the European Council to the world of think tanks and academics. How have you lived this new experience?
1: Very actively, Miriam, Uh, since since the beginning of my retirement, I've tried to communicate about Europe to share some of my experience for what it's worth. I've learned that it's easier to communicate or to talk about things rather than doing them. It's more comfortable. But I am still recently retired, so I still remember what it's like for the colleagues who have to really put their finger into the into the pie and to have to work actively on it. Uh, so I have some understanding when things do not go 100% right each time. I would also like to add that I'm extremely pleased with the experience of TAPSA. Uh, this is a really interesting organization, 47 institutes across Europe and the neighborhood, uh, very dedicated staff, a small secretariat in Brussels, so I'm extremely pleased to have this structure to work with and to communicate about Europe.
0: Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, We're also very happy to have you as our Secretary-General. If you look back at the 2021, what were the biggest achievements of the European Union in your view?
1: I'll try to answer that question. But before that, I'd like to say a word about the general context. 2021 has again been a difficult year because of COVID and uh, uh, all the energy it requires to combat uh, the pandemic. At the same time, we live in a global world where there are a lot of tensions. Uh, There are tensions at our borders with Russia, Ukraine. There is Belarus, which instrumentalizes migrants. There is Afghanistan, where uh, the withdrawal raises a lot of questions about Western policy and our relations with the Americans. Very assertive China, which again, also questions our relationship with the United States. And then of course, uh, we now have uh, Brexit with a government in London, which is complicated. There are lots of questions to be solved. So it's a very uncertain environment. And on top of that, of course, we have had some difficult debates within the EU uh, about the rule of law, about democracy, about the primacy of EU law. So there are quite a few things out there. But coming to your question about achievement, I would still say that the handling of the COVID crisis overall... Uh, has been uh, positive, Uh, the procurement has worked. Today, if there's a problem with vaccination, it's not because we don't have vaccines, it's because part of our populations, unfortunately, do not want to be uh, vaccinated. The certification has worked. And then, of course, we have this massive uh, recovery and resilience fund, which is beginning to be implemented. The money has been raised. It's being transferred to the member countries. Uh, National plans have been negotiated between the Member States and the Commission in a very serious manner. Now, of course, the jury is out, but the start of this is, I would say, very positive. Concerning climate change, I would say that uh, the Union contributed to a relatively positive outcome of Glasgow, the COP26, which at least maintains the process going, and there uh, there is some progress. Internally, the Commission has put on the table a very good proposal, Fit for 55, which we are now in the process of uh, negotiating. Uh, Of course, we have had a difficult experience with energy prices, increases. We had to manage that in some way. I'll come back to that maybe uh, a bit later. And finally, I would say uh, that we have continued the debate, which started after 2016, after Brexit and Trump, which started about the idea of strategic autonomy.
0: Of course, we take the achievements for granted, but has the EU also experienced failures? Were these failures inevitable, or could the EU do better?
1: Yes, we have certainly areas where things don't work as well. I would also say, of course, that it's difficult to put things into neat categories and say, such a policy, very good success, and such a policy, failure. Total failure. No, it's not like that. I would say on balance, even if there have been mistakes made in the handling of COVID crisis, it's overall, I think, positive. Uh, I I think I'm less positive about migration. It is not as though we haven't done anything. We have reacted, for instance, to the negative actions of Belarus. But there is a core problem we haven't solved, which is the future of our asylum and migration policy. Uh, There's still a lot of disagreement there. And one has the impression that if there's an acute crisis, we don't really talk so much about it. We have to solve this, because there will be more crisis. And so there, I must say, I'm, slight, I'm less positive than about some other aspects. I know how difficult it is, but we really have to sort out this problem. And then there is an area I briefly alluded to already, and this is the question of the rule of law, democracy, the functioning of our systems... There are controversies. Now, that in itself is not dramatic, but there are certain movements, there are certain initiatives which are taken which could be dangerous for the future of the European Union. So this is not what I call a failure. It's a worry I have.
0: And for 2022, what are the main challenges facing the European Union?
1: They're very much the same things I've been talking about. It's obvious that we'll have to continue uh, managing the COVID crisis, because unfortunately and contrary to what we had hoped for, it's not uh, gone away. We also, horizontally speaking, if I look at horizontal issues, I think we have to become more systematic, more structured in the, in the uh, implementation of strategic autonomy. We have to create a methodology and see what exactly we have to do to increase our autonomy, to have more capacity to act and to shape our own future, and maybe also participate in shaping the global future. So those are horizontal issues which will continue. It's a long-term effort. If I look at more thematic uh, aspects, then uh, again I come back to climate change. We have a proposal now. We have to agree the proposal. It's about burden sharing. Burden sharing is complicated because it is about who does more, who does less, and all of that. And those are extremely complicated issues. We also have to look at this in the context of the energy policy. You've talked about the uh, price increases. Now, I see a positive relationship between the two, because some people give the impression that because of the hike in energy prices, we shouldn't invest into the climate policy. For me, it's exactly the opposite, because if we invest in a positive climate policy, then the diversification of energy supplies is important, or a better use of our energy sources is important. So I think they are reinforcing, uh, and we should really be very clear about that. Uh, A second theme, which is obvious again, is the digital revolution. Many initiatives are being taken, but I still somewhat am a bit frustrated by the fact that it's a lot of piecemeal initiatives and there is maybe an overemphasis on defensive measures and regulation. I think we need those, but we also need innovation. We need an industrial policy. We need to create platforms. We need to unleash capital and things like that. So there, I think, uh, I would really hope for a more systematic approach. Then, of course, there is a very important issue, which is the implementation of the national recovery plans, but also the question of our future economic governance. We have had a special regime for the last two years because we triggered the escape clause, so the normal rules in terms of fiscal consolidation have not applied. Sooner or later, we'll have to come back to this. The question will be, how are we coming back? Exactly as before, or do we foresee more flexibility, which will be a controversial debate. Another question is that... When the RRF was decided, the recovery fund and all that, it was clearly said it was a one off initiative. That was the understanding. But at the same time, if it works, for instance, I am quite certain that quite a few member states and people will say we should somehow make this a sustainable, a longer-term approach. And again, it will be a very interesting uh, discussion. Uh, lastly, on this, in this field... Uh, We're beginning to see a return of inflation, which would completely change the paradigm and the situation, and we'll have to really think very hard about this. Finally, I would mention the area of security and defence, not in the sense of the EU substituting itself to NATO and all of that, but in the sense of becoming a bit more autonomous, developing more capabilities, and having a more strategic outlook. And there we have a very important deadline under uh, the French presidency, which is the adoption of people call a strategic compass, which means a discussion about what do we really need in terms of defence, what should we do to get there, and how should we do this in correlation with uh, NATO and the Transatlantic Alliance. So I think there are very, very many issues we have, we have on the table Uh, So, uh, I think that both our institutions, the member countries, the think tanks as well, have a lot of things on your plates. And I would wish them all uh, a steady hand, a lot of dynamism, and a very happy Christmas.
0: Thank you very much, Jim. And thank you all for watching. And I wish you not only a Merry Christmas, but also a very Happy New Year. This podcast is co-funded by the Europe for Citizens programme of the European Union. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.